Okay, let's do this. Let's go to God's word. Uh, today is going to be part one of a two-part message this week and next week. The title of the message here today is Apostol- the Authentic Apostolic Ministry and Authentic Pastoral Ministry. That may sound like, ooh, that doesn't sound like an exciting title, Nick. Um, but it will be, maybe. We'll see. That's why I brought, that's why I brought the sponge, right? All right you'll, the sponge will mean something to you. Authentic Apostolic Ministry... Authentic pastoral ministry. That's the title of this week and next week. And there's loads of application to go with it. We're going to be looking all together at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, all the way through chapter 13, verse 9. That's all from this week to next week. We'll look at just today. We'll go verse 11 through verse 19 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 through 19. Let me have you stand again. Stretch your legs. Be ready. Verse 11 says, Paul says, I have become foolish. You yourselves compelled me. For I ought to have been commended by you. For no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles, even if I'm nothing. The signs of a true apostle were worked out among you with all perseverance by signs, wonders, and miracles. And in what respect were you treated as less than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. For this is the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children ought not to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will most gladly spend and be fully spent for your souls. If I love you more... Am I loved? Am I to be loved less? But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you by deceit. Have I taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you? I encouraged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit in the same very steps? All this time, you think we are defending ourselves to you. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. And all these things, beloved, are for your building up. Let's go to the Lord. Have your hand. Please, God, on this message, our time in the word, with what I say, that we capture what the original, what the author, through the Holy Spirit, meant to be understood by the Corinthians. And let us make a good application. Let us be built up in the faith. May this cause us to love our wives uh, stronger. May this cause us to love our husbands, our children, those far from Christ, those in need of Christ. May this help us. We need this help. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message is Authentic Apostolic Ministry, Authentic Pastoral Ministry. You could even tag on that Authentic Jesus Ministry. So here's what's happening. As he's rounding third, the book's about to close down. We're almost done with it. Paul is, this whole book, if you recall and you've seen, he's been defending his apostolic ministry. Hey, these are the final words where he talks about what is authentic about his apostolic ministry. And But then you see in this, as we're talking about this, you also see what authentic pastoral ministry looks like. And you also see a lot of pointing to Jesus. This is the kind of ministry Jesus had. And by extension, this is the kind of ministry God's people have to each other. So first I just want to, Take a look. We'll start in verse 11. And by the way, verse, um, here's the thing about 2 Corinthians that you don't see in other books of the Bible. 
um, especially um, to this magnitude, a lot of sarcasm. A lot of sarcasm. We still have sarcasm fans here? Anybody still love sarcasm? Amen? Amen, yeah? It's okay. Right here, it, Paul's very sarcastic with the statements he says. It's, it's really funny. Now, be careful using sarcasm because it can really backfire. But Paul was trying to get across a point, and sometimes... The use of that, uh, of that kind of device is something to kind of wake somebody up where they see the oddity of what they believe. So he's using sarcasm. It's dripping in this whole entire text. He's used it. This is not something Paul typically uses. He doesn't use sarcasm, but he really did need to use it, uh, for the glory of God and for their good. So if you have an outline in that, um, in that bulletin, you see an outline. The first point is signs of a true apostle. Signs of a true apostle. You come to verse 11 and he says, I have become foolish. He basically is saying, this is foolish that I'm continue to have to do this. The fact that I'm going to be snarky to you a little bit here. I'm going to defend myself. This is just foolish. I don't want to do this, but I have become foolish. I've had to do this to you, Corinthian church. For you yourselves compelled me. You compelled me for I ought to have been commended by you. So Paul just says, listen, I... For I spent 18 months with you. I've planted you. I'm about to make my third visit. I've already wrote, I've already written three letters to you. I, I, I have, I never took a dime from you for the ministry that I've done to you. I have done, and you're going to see in a minute, all the outward manifestation of what an apostle of Jesus would have been able to do. Signs, miracles, things like that. I've done all that among you. I should have been commended by you at this point, but I've not been. I, I've now had to compel you. I've had to bring a defense, an apologetic for the authenticity of my pastoral ministry. So he says, I've become foolish. You yourselves, verse 11, you compelled me for I ought to have been commended by you for no respect. Now here's the sarcasm, all right? So clue in if you love sarcasm. He says, for no respect was I inferior to these most eminent apostles, even if I'm nothing. I love that he says, even if I'm nothing, he really did believe that. He believed that he was just the Lord's instrument. But do you catch the sarcasm, the dripping of it? For no respect was I inferior to these most eminent apostles. Remember, there were these false apostles who had come in and were teaching them things that were contrary to the true gospel. And Paul comes in and says, these guys have been talking bad about my ministry to you. They've been discrediting the true gospel. They've been, these false apostles have been infiltrating false information. They've been adding to salvation, saying you are saved by works plus grace, not grace alone. These apostles have been, these false apostles, they've been speaking things that are satanic, we discovered in the verses in uh, chapters before. Look at verse 12. He says, the sign of a true apostle were worked out among you. With all perseverance, by signs, wonders, and miracles. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, um, but you have in the Bible, you have apostles. Sometimes we call them capital A apostles, apostles from the hand of Jesus. You have the twelve. Then you have Matthias after that, after Judas fell off. You have the apostle Paul that came out of due season. These are what we would call like the capital A apostles. Apostles that are chosen by Jesus. These kind of apostles would have typically have been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry after being baptized by John the Baptist through his whole ministry. These, there are no types of apostles like these anymore. Everybody in any kind of orthodox branch of Christianity would say the kind of apostle that Paul was, that kind of apostle, that kind of apostle does not exist anymore. You would have had to have seen the resurrected Lord. 
And then furthermore, there's some evidence that you would more than likely you would have had to have been with him his whole entire ministry. When you look at Acts chapter one, when they were considering who to actually take the place of Judas. So this kind of apostle, most Orthodox Christianity would say that doesn't exist. Um, By the way, where you see the charismatic um, um, prosperity gospel movement making way, especially in continents like Africa, almost every spiritual leader claims to be an apostle of some sort, right? They, they like to take this mantle. Now, the word apostle means a sent one, an ambassador, a sent one. So that's what Paul did. He was a sent one, but he was a unique sent one, like John was a unique sent one, like Matthew was a unique sent one, his 12 disciples. Now, there is a debate within the Christian world, and you'll see this a lot, especially among missionaries, that they'll say, well, there's no capital A apostles, there's no apostles like Paul But we still have these little a apostles that are more pioneering missionaries, pioneer missionaries that are sent. And there's a lot of debate. Should they be using that word or not? Um, And so that's a big debate one. Now, what's interesting, you find here the Greek word used for apostle is apostolos. And Paul's referring to himself. But if you were to go to 2 Corinthians 8.23, when Paul describes the messengers that came down to uh, Corinth, right before Paul would, before Paul was coming together, that final um, offering at Corinth, he uses the word apostolos right there. Now, most translators would use the word messengers because they're denoting not that capital A apostle like Matthew and Mark and Luke, um, not Matthew, Mark, Matthew and Mark or John, but, but messenger apostles like lowercase a apostles. So that would be where some would say, um, hey, we, we still use the word apostle. For instance, a couple years ago, I was around some Southern Baptist missionaries and they were freely using the word Apostle. Now, when they said it, they weren't talking about the apostle that can use signs, wonders, and miracles, not like the apostle Paul. They were using it as in the, in the, in their vernacular as in, these are, we're pioneer missionaries that are going out. We are ambassadors going out to where there's lostness and there's, um, there's no gospel. And so they were very free with that. I remember kind of going, like, man, Lord, I don't know if this is good to be using this, this, this can bring some confusion right now. But that's kind of the background. Now, That's all free, right? You didn't have to pay for that. But what you have here in verse 12 is this idea. A true apostle. Let's just stick with a capital A apostle like Matthew or like John or now Apostle Paul, the 12. You would see that Paul says, I did the signs of a true apostle. Signs, wonders, and miracles. You do see this, signs, wonders, and miracles? When Paul was among them, he did these miracle signs. He, uh, The apostles of Jesus, they could... Heal the sick, right? Um, they could heal diseases. Now, that was for authenticating the, 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 um, the message of Jesus. Even Jesus' earthly ministry. You saw him multiplying food. You saw him healing the sick. Now, a lot of people think, well, true Jesus' ministry has to have those things. I would say no. Jesus' ministry had those things because he was trying to show... That was bringing authenticity to Jesus' message. The Jewish people, part of being Jewish was that you respected signs. That was a way of authenticating the message of Jesus. The apostles did the same things. That was a way of authenticating that they had the true message. But you find as time begins to fade off that some of this apostolic signs and miracles and wonders begin to die off as the word of God begins to now become more solidified with the New Testament. You even notice this, that Paul could heal people. But we discovered last week, could Paul heal himself? No. Or what about Timothy, right? When Timothy had, you know, a stomach ache, right? When he had some tummy issues. What did 
Paul tell him to take? A little what? No, Welch's grape juice. Not wine. Welch's grape juice, right? Because we... Okay, so uh, that was a joke. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I said take a little wine. Well, why didn't Paul just heal him? He was an apostle. So... And by the way, every apostle, when they healed, it wasn't, it was always through Jesus' power, right? No one just had that. So now people say today, do you think that anybody has these kind of miracles, signs, and wonders? Um, I, I personally don't think that, although I personally can't say that God doesn't do things. Um, like, for instance, it was actually a couple of weeks ago, I ran across a missionary who had told me verbatim, this person had said by their experience and said, I've been witnessing this Muslim person in a closed country. And this person came to me and told me they had a dream about Jesus telling them to come to faith. They woke up, came and contacted me. And this message of the gospel that I've been giving them, God used it. So I I can't sit there and say that kind of stuff can't happen. Now in the text, these signs and wonders and miracles were, were more of visual manifestations. People get healed. Things that are unmistakably clear. This was something when you look at the beginning of Acts, you see signs, miracles being done by the apostles. So Paul says, I did these signs, miracles, all the things that a legit apostle of Jesus would do. I did them right among you. But guys, know this. Those false apostles, they didn't do those things. They didn't have the power ability to do those things. I did. I need you to remember, this authenticates the ministry that I had among you. Now, I probably talked about that way more than I really even wanted to. You're welcome. But now look at something that really grabbed my soul. Verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were worked out among you with all, what does he say? Perseverance, right? Perseverance. Some of your translations might say patience, perseverance. Here's what I do notice. Paul says, I was very persevering with you in all these things I did. All these particular sign gifts of an apostle of Jesus. I was very, I persevered in this. Now, the title of the message is authentic pastor, authentic apostolic ministry, but authentic pastoral ministry. I would say authentic church ministry, authentic discipleship ministry. He says, I did this with perseverance. Meaning, it was pressed, it was hard, it was difficult. It was not an easy situation. I persevered. You know, I love about the Apostle Paul, when you look through this book and you read like chapter 11, boy, this guy persevered. Well, you know what's really great ministry is when people persevere. I'll give you for example. Um, I, one of my, I, have lots of, I have lots of different pastors that I really look up to. Um, like, for instance, John MacArthur decided to go to his school and do my master's degree. Love John MacArthur's ministry. Um, I can't say I agree with everything that he says, but the bulk of it I do. Love his ministry. He has my admiration. Um, but you know who really has my admiration? Like, my favorite pastor, my favorite pastors? My, my favorite pastor is the first pastor that that trained me, right, in the ministry for six years I worked with, Steve Ham. right? He'll retire this year in the spring, I believe over 30 years of ministry in the same church, pastoring the same church, right? Through thick and thin, this man has persevered in faith. More than likely, when his ministry is done, there's not going to be great books written about him. No one's going to know him. But I can tell you, this man persevered in faith. This man had an authentic pastoral ministry. 
Or I can remember my youth pastor who led me to the Lord, Donnie Foster, who's still in ministry today, who has mentored me. And after now, he's probably over 30 years of ministry too, faithfully serving the Lord through thick and thin. They've persevered. These guys may not ever have mega church churches. These guys may never have books or may never have a claim. Or if you look them up, you, you may never hear about their name. But I tell you, they persevere. Authentic apostolic ministry, they persevered. But authentic pastoral ministry perseveres. Here's the reason I'm, I'm telling you this. Pray for those who are your shepherds. Pray for them, right? And if God has given you somebody and God has given you people who have persevered in the ministry, man, you have got a precious thing. Do you know right now we are actually on the precipice of, of, of cataclysm? There are now becoming more and more men retiring from pastoring and there's not enough guys to fill those pulpits, right? You know, the average church now spends a couple years when they lose a pastor. For whatever reason, it takes them a couple years to even find a pastor. A lot of times after two years, they can't even find the guy. It's because there's not even as many guys coming into ministry anymore. When I say this, authentic pastoral ministry perseveres. And if you have that, that's a great thing. Now, not only authentic pastoral ministry, but authentic ministry to each other. You know what's really great about if you've been in Christ for a while is learning to persevere, learning to be faithful to the end. And what's hard is if you've been in church a while or you've been in the same church for a while, you've experienced the you've experienced the joys, but you've also experienced the pain. And you know what really catches the eye of God is that perseverance. It's that I continue to take a step forward. I don't let. I don't let negative things from the past kind of put me in a perspective that I give up on people in the future. So he persevered. You can see this. So the signs, number one, of a, of a true apostle, you can see right here. But, but also I would say there was this perseverance. And you see this in good pastoral ministry. You see this in good ministry of the body of Christ to each other. Now, let's keep, let's keep looking. Let's look at verse 14. I'm sorry. Um. I forgot. I needed to show you verse 13. I almost skipped over verse 13. Verse 13 is more sarcasm, right? So here you go for all you that love it, right? Verse 13, he says, For in what respect were you treated as less than the rest of the churches? The Corinthian church thought, said this false idea that because you never took our money, Paul, that you you really didn't love us or do good ministry to us. And Paul says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, because I didn't take your money, you think I don't love you? So look what he says in verse 13. For what respect were you treated less than the rest of these churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Then he says this. Forgive me this wrong. Now, does it look like he's really asking for forgiveness? No, he's not asking for forgiveness as in Corinthian church. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I should have took your money for doing ministry. He's not. He's just more of saying, oh, forgive me that I didn't take your money that, oh, that I must not love you because I didn't take your money. Forgive me for this. It's, this is a sarcastic remark. He's not actually asking for forgiveness. And you might wonder, like, Nick, how can you even know that? Well, I'll give you an example. In the next verse, he gives clear indication. When he makes a visit to them the third time, he's still not going to take their money. So when he, if, he, if he said, will you forgive me, that means the intention of his heart would be not to do that again. Amen? When you ask someone for forgiveness, you're saying, 
Will you not bring this matter up anymore to me? What I've done. Can we put this away? Will this not impact our relationship? Will you not bring this up to me, to others, or anybody else? Will you forgive me? And then the, the goal of your soul is, I don't want to do this again. Now, that not saying you might not. That's why you forgive 70 times 7. But the intent of your heart is, I'm not going to do this anymore. Now, you see in the text clearly when you look at verse 14, um, he says in verse 14, here's the third time I'm ready to come to you and I will not be a burden to you. He basically says, I'm still not going to take your money. So this was a sarcastic remark, but I do want to point off something about forgiveness. When you actually do ask for forgiveness, when you say the word and say, will you forgive me? The intent of your heart is, I don't want to do this again. This is distasteful in the eyes of the Lord. This has fractured our relationship. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? That's the intent, right? Now, remember in the text, that's not his intent because he clearly is not going to take their money. This was a sarcastic remark trying to get them to see the utter foolishness of how they're treating him. So this is the sign of a true apostle. You might be saying, well, is the sign of a true apostle sarcasm? Does that mean I can clearly because there's Nick, if you only knew what I wanted to say that I don't say. Well, that's between you and Jesus, right? All right, let's go to verse 14. That was supposed to be funny, but it wasn't. Man, I am not going to joke around anymore with you today. Okay, verse 14. Actually, look at verse 13, and then we'll kind of get into verse 14. And this is point number two in your outline. And this is where I think um, I want to spend the most application for our message. It's spent for your souls, spent for their souls. Spent for their souls. Look at verse 14. He says, here's the third time I'm ready to come to you. I will not be a burden to you. So he's not going to take their money. Now he'll take their money for an offering to the Jerusalem saints. But he's not going to take it for his own personal ministry directly to them. He says for this, for I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children, I not save up for the parents. But parents for the children. By the way, I disagree with this verse. Wouldn't it be great if our kids saved up for us, right? Like, get some jobs, guys. I mean, come on. But no, that wouldn't look right, right? It wouldn't look right that when you feed your kids, you know, that you kind of lay a bill down and go like, you can, uh, you can write the check to your mom on the, way out, on the way to bed tonight, right? That'd be awesome. Amen. That'd be awesome. But that's not how it works. No, we, we just do that. We, we take care of our kids. It's our responsibility. Paul, as a father in the faith, tells them, um, hey, you don't, you don't pay me um, because you're my children, Children don't pay their children. Parents save up for their children. So he says in verse 14, verse 15, this is point number two, spent for their souls. He says, so I will most gladly spend and be fully spent for your souls. Now, look back at verse 15. He says this, I will gladly spend and be spent, fully spent. So the word spend right here has this idea of you're taking a lot out, a lot out. And then he says in verse 15, fully spent. This means to complete exhaustion. It's kind of like this. Now I'm going to use the sponge. Are y'all ready for the sponge, right? Okay. Are y'all scared of what's going to happen with the sponge? No. Are y'all scared that I might throw this at somebody and you might have to catch it? No. (laughs) Tom's over here like, do it, please. Okay. So this is kind of what we're thinking. So you have a sponge, right? And when he says spent, it's kind of like taking a sponge and 
you're squeezing it out. Uh, a lot of water came out, right? It was spent. But it still has a little bit of reserve. But it, it took a lot out. But now he says not only spent, but fully spent. What does it look when you fully expend on a sponge? It means that you completely exhaust it. You wring it out completely. You give everything you can to it, right? Now, look back at the text. When he says in verse 15... Spent for their, this is point number two, spent for their soul. He says, so I will most gladly spend and be fully spent for your souls. So not only was the authenticity of his apostolic ministry based off of the signs, miracles that he did with all patience and perseverance. And that's good pastoral ministry. But really, and this is the difference between the false apostles and him is that his ministry was based on spending himself completely to exhaustion for the good of their souls. The false apostles, that was not their goal. Their goal was to get paid, right? Their goal was to get glory for themselves. Paul's goal was, I will expend and be fully expent for you. I will completely empty myself. Now, here's the interesting thing. So we spent out of this. Then we went fully spent. We brought to, to exhaustion... So now the sponge is dry. And if the sponge is dry, here's the great thing about a dry sponge. It's an opportunity, right? Because, it, because right now when you fully expend, right, you get everything you out. Have you ever invested in people so much that you felt like you gave everything to them to exhaustion? Here's what I find that, that Christians, especially longtime Christians, you give and you give and you give and you're just fully exhausted and then you pretty much go, don't want to do that anymore. I'm done, right? I'm just tired. Somebody hurt me. I did people well, and they hurt me. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. He never took a dime from these people, and these people were talking bad about him. But here's a wonderful thing when we exhaust ourselves. Because when you do get to the point of utter and complete exhaustion, right? And you're completely wrung out, and you're completely dry, This is an opportunity to do something that's wonderful. Because now, when you're completely dry, it's an opportunity to go to the living water. And now it's an opportunity to go back. Now it's an opportunity to get fully, fully immersed back into the living water of Jesus. And now it's an opportunity to go back and to, to give, but then give to exhaustion. And then the thought is like, oh, well, Nick, I, I gave to exhaustion. I'm just tired of doing this. Okay. Then here's what you do. You go back to the living water and discover that he's good. You discover what he's like. You discover what his heart is like. You know what's interesting? And this is 20, I think I'm on year 26 of ministry. And here's what I've discovered. There's a lot of people that they've exhausted themselves, they've exhausted themselves, they've exhausted themselves, they've been Christian for decades, and they're tired. And their, their kind of idea is, well, I spent myself, I'm just going to kind of coast to the end. I've been hurt, uh, or I'm just tired. And I would say, no, actually, what an opportunity. What an opportunity to say, let me fill back up so I can empty back out. And let me fill back up so I can empty out. This is something that I think, that some people forget the beauty. Now, you know, we're all vulnerable. Um, we're all weak. Sometimes we think things that, that aren't true. We're like that. You know what's interesting about Paul? When you read this book, are you ever amazed how this guy's still holding it together? I mean, 
if there's ever a guy that shouldn't have made it, if there was ever a guy that just needed to be medicated and never wake up, right? Isn't it the Apostle Paul? Do you see what's going on with this guy? Do you see what's going on with him? But what does he do? He rings himself out completely. He goes back to the living water, rings himself out and goes back to the living water. And he's not, he's not negative about it. Look in the text. He clearly says to them, so I will most, what does it say? What does it say? Notice it doesn't say begrudging or like, fine. Ugh. I go to Colorado Bible Church. I'll just keep doing this, right? Because pastor asked me and I'm just going to do it, right? He's like, gladly. What an opportunity. I get to fully exhaust. I get to take all the grace of God that's been poured into me that, and I get to wring it all out. And regardless of the, regardless of the, um, of the success of that, of that person I discipled or poured into, now I'm dry. I get to go back to Jesus. I get to go back to be filling up. That's an amazing thing. One of the things I think that's hurting so many Christians now is you stopped giving. You just stopped. You stopped this idea of being spent, spending your souls for someone else. You stopped studying. You stopped praying. You stopped caring. You've started to protect. You've started to become bitter and not better. You stop. Paul says, like a parent with a child, I will keep spending myself and keep spending myself. For parents that have a prodigal child, do you actually ever stop caring and loving for that child? You never do, right? You just keep doing this. That's what I love about our text today, this idea that Paul is like continuing on. This is the sign of a true apostle. He continues to spend himself for the soul of the Corinthians. This is good pastoral ministry. Is A pastor is called to spend himself. And here's what I love about pastoral ministry. Is I love. I would be scared not to be in pastoral ministry myself. Because part of pastoral ministry is you have to keep going to the word. You have to keep going back to the living water. Because if you're going to keep giving people stuff, you've got to have something to give, Right? But here's one of the things I think is stopping so many Christians, especially long-time Christians, is that you've started to protect yourself and you're not giving anymore. And what happens is you're not, you're not needy for Jesus anymore. You're not dependent on that living water anymore. You become a dry sponge. He says, I'm going to spend myself for your soul. Good pastoral ministry, good discipling ministry, good ministry in the body of Christ is this, I will give myself fully, I will expend myself. Keep looking at the text. He says in verse 15, for if I love you more, am I to be loved less? Verse 16, but be that as it may, I did not burden you myself, nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you by deceit. Y'all see the sarcasm again, right? He kind of goes back to it and says, oh, boo, but I'm crafty. I didn't take a dollar from you. And I gave, I spent everything to care for your soul. I gave everything of myself. Oh, I was so sneaky and deceptive. I did that just so I could sneak in behind you and deceive you. Ah, crafty fellow that I am. It's a sarcastic remark that he's making. So the next time you pop off to your spouse with a sarcastic remark, just tell her you're just being like Jesus. Like, if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for you. And tell me how it goes. Now look in verse um, 17. He says, have I taken advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? Now, we're now on point number three. And point number three is servants serve with integrity. Verse 17 through 18. We won't spend a lot of time on this one. 
So he says in verse uh, 17, Have I taken advantage of you through any of those whom I've sent to you? I encouraged Titus to go. I sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit in the very same steps? Paul just basically points out to them. Hold on, I forgot to turn my phone off, everybody. He says, I sent Titus and I sent others, and they didn't do anything unethical. They, they didn't do anything with less integrity than when I was with you. An authentic, an authentic apostle, you can know that my ministry is authentic among you because of the disciples that I sent to you. You can know that my ministry is authentic because of how I spent myself for your soul. You can know that my ministry is authentic for I gave you the true signs of an apostle. But here's the unique thing, even about pastoral ministry and ministry to each other. It's this idea of, you can really tell a lot about a person with the disciples that come from them. Which, which means this, this, I mean, this doesn't mean everybody's a perfect disciple because there's always a, there's a Judas somewhere, right? There's a Judas somewhere. But we do find this, that part of authentic ministry to each other is the disciples that we're leaving behind. And one of the things that I think is losing itself in the church is, who are we giving ourselves to fully for the glory of God? Who are we investing ourselves into? Because in the, behind what happens is good pastoral ministry, you leave behind disciples and those disciples are to walk in an integrity, which I'm, which I'm telling you, this is the interesting thing that so and this isn't 100 percent, but for the vast majority, you'll find this. However, disciple goes, so goes the one that they disciple them sometimes. So like this is one of the great things about disciple making ministry. If there's ever something that encourages you in holiness, it's the fact that you've got people depending on you to walk in holiness because they're watching your lifestyle. And whatever you do is what they're going to do. So this is, Paul says, the authenticity of my ministry can be seen in the quality of the integrity of guys like Titus that I send down to you. And they don't take advantage of you. They don't try to pickpocket you or anything of that nature. If they do anything, they're just trying to encourage you for that big offering to go to the Jerusalem saints. Now go to verse 19, and this will be our our last point, verse 19. He says, at this time, you think that we are defending ourselves to you. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. He just says, this really isn't a personal thing. I'm trying to bring authenticity to my apostolic ministry, trying to show there's a difference between me and the false apostles. This really isn't about me. It's point number four. I'm serving you for your good. This is all about... You're good. He says, we speak in Christ in the sight of God and all these things beloved are for your building up. I want to point a couple things. Notice that word he used, beloved. That's a very personable word. Now, how, what, I mean, you got to think about this book. Paul has to, Paul has to defend himself and defend the authenticity of his ministry and he's getting near the end of the book and he's, authenticating his apostolic ministry, and he says, beloved. I love that. Why can Paul even say that? Because he knows how to forgive. He knows how to forgive. And, and why can he say that? Because he knows how to confront. Like, why can he say that? Because he's fully expended himself. His relationship with the Corinthians was never about his own glory. It was always about the glory of God. It was always about their good. So he says, beloved. I love that. I love that he's ending this book calling them Beloved. Only by the grace of God could he call them beloved. He says in the end of verse 19, Beloved, all these things beloved are for your... What's the word there? What's the next word? 
Does anybody have it? Is anybody, are you looking at it? What's the next word? Upbuilding, building up. If you have a King James Version, it might say edify. Um, yeah, some versions like the NIV might say strengthening. The Greek word here is a compound word. Oike, oiko dome. Oiko dome. Oiko means house. Dome means building. It's a construction word. <clears throat> so he basically says everything we're doing, we're trying to build up the household of faith. We're trying to build you up. We're trying to do construction work. I'm trying to build you up. My whole entire apostolic ministry has not been about me. It's been about what can I do to be an instrument in the hand of the Redeemer, an instrument that is that is building up the house of God in your life. Like that's been my goal the whole entire time. Good ministry, apostolic ministry, good pastoral ministry, good ministry to each other. It's really just about that. Now, let me lean in and say a couple things on this. If you've been in a church for any time and you've loved that church, and you love the people in that church, the hardest thing sometimes can be if someone was a, a part of your group or a part of you, and then that person decides for whatever reason that they're not going to be at that church anymore, but they're going to go somewhere else for whatever reason. It doesn't matter, just for whatever reason. I've seen people in a church get a, a, almost to a point where it makes them start to protect themselves and to go, I'm tired of, I'm tired of investing in people and those people not being around, right? Now, here's the great thing about what God can be revealing in all that. If that's what, where we get, then actually the investment we make in people is really about us. But if it's really about the glory of God, their good and building them up, then all we have to ask ourselves is this. Whenever I had access to somebody, did I do them good and was I faithful? And if I could do them good and if I was faithful, then they're beloved. Like, that's all I care about. That's all I want. You know what really freed me in pastoral ministry? I, I can tell you the hardest thing in my earlier years and even first coming to our church was every time someone would leave the church, right? For And sometimes it was just like your church didn't have what they wanted. Like sometimes it would almost be like a sense of bitterness or like rejection or something of that nature, right? And and the Lord, began, man, the Lord had to take that idol away where one day I had to kind of get face to face with the Lord and kind of go, wait a minute. Maybe sometimes I'm serving people for what they, what I can get from them rather than just what I can give to them. So God, can I have your heart on this? Can I just see it as my goal is to be faithful to build up, to do the hard housework and to just do them good. And if I've done that, then anytime I see them from here, they're just beloved. This, this whole relationship wasn't about me to begin with. This whole relationship was the glory of God and they're good. And when God began to really give me that, it changed everything. Now, I'll end with this illustration of this. You've seen me use the, you know, the... Here's what's interesting. Even when I have this sponge, I haven't done anything to it yet, right? But what's already happening? I haven't squeezed it yet. What's happening? It's already dripping, right? It's like grace is still coming out of it, right? Something's still happening. The living water is still kind of leaking out of things. And the point I want to make is this. This idea of living for the glory of God and the good of others, living for the glory of God and building up others. It, as long as you're growing in Christ, it's just going to leak out naturally. It's just going to keep, it's just going to leak out naturally. Now, God's going to give you opportunities to exhaust yourself. And then the more you exhaust yourself, the greater opportunity to be filled back with the Lord. But just the fact that you're just around people. Just the fact that you would just 
come to the Lord and try to be faithful, God's going to use that little part. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. We're not having it today, but we usually have a time, right? We have a meal. We have a time that we call edify, build up, right? And what that edify time, build up really means build the home, right? Build the household of God, build the, the house of God in your own life. But you know, I've noticed um, people sometimes won't say something during that time because they think they've got to have this almost like Apostle Paul kind of word to say. But you know what's been so great during this time is there have been some people who just said one or two words or said a couple phrases and that did so much ministry to my own soul that they'll never know. It's like the water just leaks out when the goal of life is the glory of God and the good of others. Authentic apostolic ministry, authentic pastoral ministry has that kind of gear. Authentic ministry to each other. And as we close, in that the, in that the ministry of Jesus... Philippians 2, what was Jesus' whole life and ministry about? It wasn't about his glory, it was about the glory of God. What did Jesus do? When we take communion in a moment, he emptied himself, right? He emptied himself. He did the most humble thing you can do. He went to the cross. The, the hardest thing in life to do, he took the wrath of God in our place. I don't know about you, that's, that's really, that's ex- that's one of those things where you completely empty yourself. You do more than just squeeze. You completely squeeze out. That's how far Jesus went. What a gospel-centric kind of idea. So Paul is now rounding third. He's rounding home. He's now given them just a little bit of part one of, here's what authentic ministry looks like. Can I pray over this and pray for you? And especially if there's been a stalling in life of, of, of wringing yourself out of, Putting yourself in a position where you have to come back to Jesus, to the living water to fill up. Can I, can I pray for you at this moment? Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray. and We're going to sing, take the Lord's Supper. We've got to pray over this text. Pray for us. What great ministry the Apostle Paul had. What great ministry you've called us to each other. But I know there's... There's some saints who are at home listening to this. Some will listen who aren't even part of our church. Some in it. We've invested. We've invested and we've invested. And sometimes we've protected ourselves. God, would you let us capture the heart of what a true apostle was and capture the heart of what true ministry does, capture the heart of really Jesus. God, would you help us to fully exert ourselves for the souls of others. And God, let it then create a unquenchable thirst for you, an unquenchable desire for you to be filled back up. God, would you give ministry into our hands It's such that we can do nothing but rely on you for the strength to continue to do it? God, would you let us see the discipling relationships as an opportunity to do good and to glorify God. An opportunity to build up the house and home of someone else's life. God, would you let us have that Jesus focus, not about us. Now as we close, if there's someone here who's never trusted Christ, never called out to you as Lord and Savior, may this be their day. May this be their day. Will they do it today? They confess their sinfulness and ask you as Lord and Savior. Would you do that for them today? Now have your hand on our time as we sing back to you, as we take the Lord's Supper and remember this, and then as we go back out.
bless the remaining of our time and let what you've intended for your word to accomplish in these moments accomplish. And God's people said, amen.